Amen. If you would be finding your place, Nehemiah chapter 8 this morning. Nehemiah chapter 8. We'll conclude our series of messages from the book of Nehemiah this morning. So glad that you've chosen to be a part of our worship this morning. And so good to hear you singing out and praising our God together. What a wonderful day to be in the house of the Lord. Praise God that we're here today. And uh, Ezra, the scribe, will read the law to the book, the book of the law to the people uh, today. And I've entitled the message Back to the Bible. You know, there's a, a pandemic facing our nation. It's not COVID-19 or the swine flu or malaria. America has a literacy problem. And I'm not talking about the almost 14% of the adult population who cannot read or write. I'm talking about a far worse literacy, illiteracy pandemic affecting the church. Biblical illiteracy. The Bible is more widely available today than it's ever been in the history of the world. And yet there are more people today who are ignorant of its contents than ever in the history of the world. Only 20% of Americans say they've read the entire Bible at least once. Only 22% say they systematically read through a section of the Bible a little each day. Bible reading. A third of Americans never read the Bible on their own. So a third of American population say that they, they never read the Bible. This lack of biblical reading has certainly led to a lack of biblical doctrine. According to LifeRay Research, fewer than half, 47%, say the Bible is 100% accurate in all it teaches. Now, this is among Christians, by the way. Half of Christians believe the Bible is accurate. Half say that the Bible was written for each person to interpret as he or she chooses. Uh, three quarter, and there's a whole lot of implications of that. Three quarters, 74%, disagree with the idea that even the smallest sin deserves eternal damnation. And uh, we've watered down what sin is as a result of not reading our Bibles. Three quarters, 77%, say people must contribute their own effort for personal salvation. You're working toward your salvation. Half, about 52%, say good deeds help us earn a spot in heaven. And 45% believe there are many ways to get there. Pluralism as a result. And although 65% of American adults describe themselves as Christian, okay, according to uh, a Pew Research survey and a Cultural Research Center study that indicates only 6% actually hold to a biblical worldview. So 65, according to Pew Research, percent say that they're Christian, but only 6% hold a biblical worldview. And what is that biblical worldview? What, what is that about? Well, that means viewing your world through the lens of the Bible, through the Scripture. Letting Scripture tell us how to see the world around us. Whenever they say, well, well what is the biblical world? I mean, what is the worldview? If it's not a biblical worldview of Americans today, about 87% of Americans 
have a, a syncretistic worldview where they've taken a little bit of this and a little bit of that and they've all put it, they put it all together and that's how they view the world. It's a spiritualism. Americans are on a light diet of God's Word and we have become spiritually emaciated as a result. And the problem with that is that America's morality is on decline, is in in the decline. Our system of morality is in decline. We no longer have a good sense of what's right and wrong and what pleases God and what dishonors God. And the Judeo-Christian moral ethic that governed the creation of our nation, the establishment of our nation, is no longer the foundation of what we view and what we think in America today. And the problem with that is an immoral people are not fit to govern themselves under the rule of law. And so we're seeing the decline and the decay of American society as a result. And what it really all boils down to is we have neglected the word of God. We've turned our back. We said no Bibles and no prayer in school. And what's worse is Christians are leaving the Bible on the shelf at home. And even in churches and pulpits today, you might call them churches. I don't call them churches. Churches with the air quotes. The Word of God is not proclaimed in the pulpit any longer. Folks, we have got to get back to the Bible if we're going to see the restoration of our society, if we're going to see the restoration of our homes, of our churches, of our communities, of our nation, if we're going to see us returning back to the Lord, it means returning back to what He says, not an interpretation of what we think about God, but about who He truly is. Now, this nation that has re-entered the land of Israel here in, in the book of Nehemiah, they are three generations removed from biblical doctrine. And so they gather together, they bring themselves together, and they call out for Ezra to bring the book. Bring the book. So why don't you stand with me? We're going to read from the book today, from the book of Nehemiah. Okay? Verse 1. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. By the way, this is after the wall has been completed. The work has been done. And now, what are we waiting on? We're waiting on the Spirit of God to inhabit His people. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women, and all those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. I want you to skip down and look at verse 6. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Amen. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your word today. We pray, Lord, that you would 
take these words, that you would imprint them, impress them upon our hearts. Lord, that you would find us faithful in these things. Father, that you would help us to be a people of the book. That we'd be like the Bereans, that we'd search the scriptures. And we'd see if these things are so. We'd test the things that the world tells us and see how they align with scripture. Father, that we would develop within ourselves a, a biblical worldview and we would hold ourselves accountable to everything that your word declares. And Father, that you would find us faithful to obey what we hear and read. Father, that as a result, you would restore us, that you would put back together what, this, what sin and what the enemy has broken down. You'd rebuild lives and homes and marriages and families. And Father, that you would see churches rise up and they would be the people that you've called them to be in their communities. And we'd see people saved because of the glorious gospel that's being proclaimed around us and through us. Father, we love you. We want to be where you are. We know that that starts by hearing what you say. And so, Lord, speak to us now. Our hearts are, are ready. Our ears are open. Prepare our minds. Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. We need to study God's Word. Study strengthens your spiritual muscles. If we're emaciated as Christians and we're emaciated as a church, you like that, Cody? I saw Cody smiling. Because that looks like Cody's muscles whenever he's lifting those weights. I saw him. We, got the, we have the, the gym, the uh, workout room open now. So stop by the office and you can get a code to get in and use those muscles in there. But listen, the church needs to be working out and feasting on a diet of God's Word. Study, the word study that I'm using today, what it means is ingesting the daily spiritual food that God has provided through His Word. That's what, that's what I'm talking about when I say study. And these people were hungry, and that's why they called out to Ezra. Notice Ezra's been there. They've been there for an entire generation back in Israel, and no one has pulled out the book of the law. No one's dusted it off until this day in Nehemiah chapter 8. When they finally say, you know what we really need that we've been missing all this time? What's been missing among us? Listen, what's been missing in the church it's the Word of God. We need to get back to it, folks. We've got to get back to it. And so they gathered as one man, and they tell Ezra, bring it out. And then you hear, as a result of hearing the reading of the Word, what do they say? They, they, they stand and they, they answer, Amen, Amen. And by the way, uh, in honor of, of this text, I want everybody to, to stand for the rest of my sermon. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to make you do that. But this is what they did. They stood and they were listening all day long to the Word of God. That's, that's amazing to me that they were so hungry for it. They longed for it. I wonder, do you have that same longing? But then their, their worship, and, and this is the first thing, study stimulates your worship. And look at what happens. They they were saying, Amen, Amen, and lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads, and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Now, what, what were they reading? What were they hearing? They were hearing about how God created in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. 
Then they heard about how God had chosen a race of people and how they were in bondage in captivity in Egypt and then how they were taken out of captivity and brought into a land that was flowing with milk and honey and how God had been so faithful. And when they heard all of these things, they were reminded about all that God did. What did it make them want to do? The worship. Isn't that what the Bible does for you whenever you open it up? And it begins to come alive as you read it and it begins to sink into your heart. What do you want to do? You want to say, praise God. I'm a sinner saved by grace. Now I'm a saint. Look at what he's done. Worship our God. Behold our God. It makes you want to worship him when you get into his word. And all the people were were bowing their heads. And notice, you look and you see it was men Men worshiping God, men saying amen in church. Hey, you can say amen, guys. Say it, amen. Lifting up their hands to God. They were, they were not ashamed to worship. They were stimulated to worship. They, they were compelled to worship. They were compelled to put their hands up and praise Almighty God for what He had done in church. Man, if you can't do that in church, something's wrong. And then what did they do? They bowed their heads and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. They were humble before him. And it names some of these men. It names them and it talks about what they were doing. It names a a, a list of these guys and some of them, even the Levites. What did they do? They helped the people to understand the law. So not only did were the men present there, the men were active in what was happening in church. Amen. The men took their role seriously. And then they went and they shared God's word. They broke it down into bite-sized pieces for the people to understand. What is that called? That's Bible study. That's Sunday school is what we call that here at Myrtle Grove Baptist Church. If you're not a part of that, I want to encourage you right now. You're missing a major portion of your spiritual diet if you do not attend a Bible study group. Please make that part, make that a priority, make that part of your day, your weekly routine to be in a Bible study group with, here, with us here. If you can't make it on Sunday, come on Wednesday night. And if you can't make it on Sunday or Wednesday night, start a new group and get some people together and study God's Word together. Verse 8 says, they read from the book of the law of God clearly and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. When you understand the word of God, it's going to make you want to worship the God of the Bible. It's really important for you to know your Bible, but it's even more important for you to know the God of the Bible. And that's what's so important for you and me. Once we get into God's word, God's word gets into us and it begins to stimulate us to want to worship Him. The second thing that happens, uh, and by the way, let me read this passage too. This is from John 4, 23 through 24. The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. Worship that does not engage your heart is simply rote, going through the motions, and does not please God. But worship that doesn't engage your mind is simply an overflow of emotion. If you get goosebumps 
in church, but you never have a, a sense of awe of the holiness of God and who God is, we've missed the mark. And so getting into the Word of God is so important for your worship. But secondly, study steadies your walk. It's going to steady your walk. And, and Ezra, he's like uncovering this hidden treasure. The people have been working with their hands. They're about worn out. They're tired. They've finally gotten it. the wall completed. 52 days of work. And now they're hungry for the Word. God's Word brings life and renews us. It exposes our weakness. It teaches us forgiveness. We learn how to live under the authority of God through reading the Word of God. Matthew 4 and verse 4 says, Jesus answered, it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. I remember, and and Jesus was being tempted right here, and what he depended on was the word that was implanted in his heart to defeat the temptation. I remember whenever Taylor was younger, my oldest son was younger, I did not ask permission to use him as an illustration this morning because... He's somewhere where I can't reach him at the moment. But I would have if I could have. But I remember whenever he was younger, Taylor hated taking his medicine. Any, anybody ever had kids like that? Were you ever like that? You hated taking it. And he would be so sick. And he would be crying. And, but when Allison would go to the, to the refrigerator and pull out his antibiotic or whatever it was that he needed to be taken... He would crawl under the table to get away so he wouldn't have to take the medicine. You see, the Word of God, here's the, here's the thing about it. We are sick with sin. And sin will keep you from the Bible. And that's listen, that's why you're not studying the Word of God as much as you should. It's because your sin is in conflict, spiritual conflict with the Word of God. And you don't want to be in the Bible because it exposes who you are. But the problem with that is the Bible is the only cure. The Bible contains the Word of God, which is the message, the hope of salvation that was purchased by the blood of Jesus on the cross. And everything that He did for you and how it's all revealed to us in Scripture is available. But we won't go to the Bible, the medicine, the cure. We won't go there. We're running away from it. We're scared to take it because of what it might do to us. It's the the medicine that we need. We need truth. Your children, your family, the people around you, they're longing for meaning. You need spiritual truth. And, and, And by the way, it's not... My truth, and it's not your truth, it's all God's truth. It's not up for interpretation, it's not about my feelings or your feelings. It's not about what we think about God, it's what God says about it. And what He says about Himself. Who God is, is not up for interpretation. Who God is, has been written and revealed through His Holy Word for you and me to receive. You don't get to decide who God is. The God of your imagination is no God at all. The God of the Word is the one true 
living God. That's it. I don't have the authority to change it and neither do you. The Bible has the the answers to the big questions of life. Why are we here? Who is God? Is there life after death? All of those things. And study as we study, it's going to correct us. Now, that's exactly what happens in verse 9 and following. Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the the, the Levites who taught the people said to all the people. So here, here's the thing. All of these people, the only reason they had any authority to stand and preach was because of the word. It was because of the law itself. And what they're about to tell the people was found in the law. And it was to correct them. It says, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Now, you can imagine the conviction that they all fell under and the, and the mourning that they were going through. Man, we have not kept the law because they finally got back to the Word and the Word was making them convicted. And they were weeping over that. And the people said, uh, the, uh, the, the leaders said, stop weeping because today is a day that you're supposed to rejoice. And the word corrected them in that moment and said, this is a day that you should be keeping, recognizing as holy. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready for this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people saying, be quiet for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. I wonder, sometimes it's not really an issue with understanding God's word. The issue is with obeying God's word because we know what he said, but we're not willing to obey what he said. And so what did the people do? They went their way. What does that mean? They were obeying what God had said in His Word. His Word was correcting the people. And and then as one people, they celebrated together that holy day that was prescribed in the law. Romans 15 and verse 4 says this, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. Listen, God's word was written not to us, but it was written for us. God's word is instructive on every page for how you and I should live. And it steadies our walk when we begin to stray a little bit too close to the edge. We get a little bit on that edge and we start leaning over. I was preaching one day and I got a little too close to the edge and I fell off. I didn't fall all the way down, but I stepped down. I know a preacher one day that did fall. He got back up though. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching. But tell us what God has to say. For reproof, for telling us where we got it wrong. For Correction for telling us how to get back on the right path and for training in righteousness to keep us on that path that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. 
The Bible is like a, a chair rail. You, you got a chair rail in your house? You scoot a little bit too close to the edge, and, it, and it, what does it do? It keeps you from making a mess of things in your kitchen. And the Bible helps you keep things in order the way that they should be and not make a mess of things. Gives you wisdom for life. The Bible is like guardrails, not just a chair, chair rail, but a guardrail to keep you on track when you're tempted. Whenever you're, the enemy's over there telling you, come on over here, it keeps you in line. The Bible is like handrails. So when you feel weak, you can grab hold of the handrail and it'll lift you up. And the Bible tells us of the hope that we have in Jesus. Remember he said, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Well, why were they joyful? They were joyful because they had heard of all the marvelous deeds of their God and how he loved them and how he would never leave them or forsake them as his people. What did David have to say about this? Psalm 119, verse 105. Psalm 119, by the way, it's all about David just celebrating the Word of God. In verse 105, he says, Your Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Have you ever tried to walk through the house without a light in the middle of the night? It doesn't always turn out well, especially whenever you have toddlers in the house and they leave their toys on the floor and you step on them and you feel that the next day and you thought, man, I should have gotten a light The Word is the light in the darkness to illumine our path. So study, study does a lot of things. Study stimulates our worship. It steadies our walk. But the third thing that it does from the Scripture, study strengthens your witness. You and I are called to be a witness. You and I are called to be the people of God proclaiming the message of God, the hope of salvation in a world that's lost and dying. And these people that were here today, they were given a specific task to do. And look at what it says in verse 13. So they, they heard the word of God all the way from the morning to the noonday, and then they went out to obey the word of God the rest of the day. And then verse 13, it, they come back the next day. So they, they didn't have enough of church on that day, they had to come back and get some more. Amen? Man, that's what restoration really looks like. People said, you know what, we need some more of God's Word. And when you have a little bit of God's Word, and you begin to get into God's Word, you break that, that, that crust off, you break the ice, and you get into the, the meat of the Word, you, you're going to develop a hunger for the Word. You're going to want even more. And so the second day, the heads of the fathers, the house of the people with the priests and the Levites, came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. They came back for more. And then, and they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out into the hills and bring branches of olive, olive wood Myrtle and palm and other leafy trees to make booths as it is written. So they were told to go out and proclaim this. To do what? Proclaim that this was time for celebration. It was time for the Feast of Booths. And and the Feast of Booths, there was no other more joyful occasion than the Feast of Booths in Israel's history. It was named Sukkot. And this celebration would last 
of the fall festivals, the last of the fall festivals, was held at the end of the agricultural year when the grapes and olives were harvested in Israel. It was time to thank God for all of His provisions and to pray for a rainy season so that they could have even more fruit. But what it was primarily given in order to do was to remind the people of Israel that during that time of the exodus out in the wilderness, that God provided everything that they needed, that He cared for them, that His provision is what brought them into the Holy Land. And now on this side of the cross, as we look back at the Feast of Booths, what we realize is that it all pointed to Jesus. And as they were going out and proclaiming to the world that it was time to celebrate the Feast of Booths, so we as Christians go out into the world and we proclaim to them that it's time to celebrate the salvation of our God. Putting our faith and trust in God's provision, the only one that He provided, the Lamb that was slain for you and me. And to dwell one day in a heavenly tent as a result. The proclamation of the Feast of Booths is similar to what we do. We tell people, go get ready. Go get ready because the feast is coming and you have a seat at the table. If you'll put your faith in Jesus, you can sit at the table too. The Bible is a means by which God's Spirit brings a sinner into repentance. You and I can't do that. He puts His Word within us, and then as His Word is proclaimed, sinners put their faith in Jesus. And this is a miraculous thing. If you've never led someone to the Lord, and you've never been in that experience, you need to start telling people about Jesus. But when you do, I'm telling you, it will change your life forever whenever you lead someone to the Lord. You will never be the same the moment that you tell someone about Jesus you ask them if they want to receive Jesus as their Savior, and they respond and say, yes, I do want to trust Jesus as my Savior. When you lead them to the Lord, your life will never be the same. And some of us, we're, we're reluctant to do that because God's Word isn't dwelling richly within us. Colossians 3.16 let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. How can you do that if you don't have the word of God implanted within you? You can't. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Paul told Timothy, young pastor of Ephesus, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching." Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. This is the means by which we share the gospel. We go to the Word of God. Any gospel presentation that doesn't use the Word of God has lost its power. This is the power in your witness. Otherwise, you're just telling people how they ought to live. What you think about how they ought to live. But if you take the Word of God and you expose it to the people out there who are lost in darkness, the light of Christ will shine in their hearts. And that's what we're hoping to do every time we share the good news of Jesus.
So I want to conclude with a challenge. And I want to lay it at your feet. And I want to say to you, God is calling each and every one of us, man and woman, boy and girl, everyone who can understand to get back to the Bible. To get into the Word daily. There are so many tools and resources out there for you to utilize. I can't even begin to name them. But if you don't have a Bible app on your phone, there's some great ones. I want to mention just version. It's a great one. Our, the one that we use is this connected to the Proclaim presentation software that we use. is called Faith Life Bible Study. And I, I encourage you, just, just Google some of them. Put, them. put them on your phone. Get your Bible off the shelf and put it beside your bed. Let it be a reminder when you wake up. I need to be in the Word. If you don't have a good devotion, get a devotion. And so here's the challenge for you. I want you to spend the next 30 days a month, spend one month reading the Bible morning and evening if you're not doing that already. And see if it doesn't change you. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Father God, we are so thankful today for your word. We know, Lord, that your word is truth. And through your word, you're sanctifying us. You're making us more like Jesus. And Lord, today, I want to pray for the one who's here who does not know you as their Lord and Savior. We've spoken about how you've sent your one and only Son to save us. And Lord, I know that today you are saving someone. And I want to ask you with your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you're ready to receive Jesus into your heart today, if you just pray the simple prayer, say, Jesus, I admit to you that I am a sinner. I've done things that are wrong and I failed to do the things that I know are right. But Jesus, I believe that you lived a sinless life, the life I could never live. And then you died in my place on a sinner's cross. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart. I know you're alive today and that you are Lord of all. I want to spend the rest of my life living for you and serving you, Jesus. Thank you for saving me, a sinner. In your name I pray. Amen. All right, look up at me. If you just prayed that prayer and you meant it with all your heart, then the Lord Jesus has heard that prayer. And based on the promises of His Word, He says that He has saved you because you've called on His name. And if that's taken place in your life, I want to invite you. I want to invite you to share what Jesus has done for you so we can rejoice with you, we can pray with you, we can give you resources so you can grow in your faith. We can get you connected to a Bible study group. We offer you believers baptism. We're excited about what Jesus has done in your life. And if today you've decided that you're really going to get back to the Bible, 
This invitation is for you as well. And so as we sing, here's what I want you to do. I want you to stand only if you're committing this morning that you're going to get back into God's Word. If you're already in God's Word, you stand with us. But if you've been out of God's Word, you stand. And if you can't stand up with us, we're going to pray. I want you to stand with us now. Say, I'm going to get into God's Word. You stand up with us. I'm going to get back into the Bible like I should have been all along. And you stand with us. Now let's sing our hymn of invitation. You come as the Lord leads you. If you need prayer, if you're joining our church, or you're saying Jesus is my Lord and Savior,